Evening, welcome back everybody. Flucker fans, how, how are, are we? It doesn't seem five minutes, does it? Well, probably mostly because it's probably been about four minutes. Yeah, just to, just time to replenish. Yeah, anyway, cheers. Cheers everybody. Cheers, everybody. cheers. and welcome cheers. back again to our special cheers. guest. Yes. Yeah. Roger? I did, I did enjoy that last one mm. with Roger. Definitely have to get you back Some again. Some great stories there, Roger. Yeah, happy yeah. to do that. But there's mm. another side. There is. To you, Roger. Yeah. Can you yeah. tell us a bit about what else you do and your involvement, which is still a bit policey? Yeah, um, for those who know me uh, will know that I've struggled with mental health uh, for some time. Uh, I struggled with it myself. In the job? In the job. Uh, in truth, probably all my life. Uh, I've, I've, had this, I've had this thing all my life that I, I didn't feel I was good enough. There's reasons behind that, which are family, and we haven't really got time to sort of go into that now. Um but certainly, uh, I had a, I had a big breakdown uh, in the early thousands. Um, I think you become aware of your own mortality very much in the job. Uh, other things were happening. My marriage was not great, um, and I was struggling with that. I was struggling to, to try and keep a lid on that, uh, keep the marriage going, be there for my kids, and all that sort of thing, and. The fact that the job had always been a family to me was the thing that really sort of kept me mentally together. And in 96, uh, they brought in something called tenure of post, which basically meant it didn't matter what you did, how good you were, how good you thought you were, and how productive you were, uh, there was a, there was, you were going to, as you were on a specialist post, as, it, as they called it, uh, and that was arguable that, uh, you know, there'd be a day in the future where you're, you're off. So that was really where I think the skids mentally went well and truly under me. Um, and then with the way that the job changed as well. And, you know, frontline policing, if they were going to abstract cops from anywhere, it always came from frontline policing. So that all got abstracted. And early thousands, my memory's so bad now, I can't remember exactly, but I'm going to say 2003, 2004, I had a, I had a massive breakdown and didn't go back to work for five months. Eventually sort of got myself back to work. But when, and, and, I, and I got counselling through the job, uh, the occupational health uh, uh, lady at the time, Hilary Pierce, sadly no longer with us, a wonderful, wonderful lady, uh, probably kept me on the planet, in truth. Um, she helped me through a lot. And, um, sort of got me back to work, got it. I said, I had counselling, which was the first time I'd, I'd had anything like that. Um, because I was, I sort of felt ashamed that I felt I couldn't cope. Um, operationally, it would come out that I'd get, I'd get cold sweats, I'd get the shakes, I'd get sent to a job and, and I'd just, I could feel myself falling apart. You get, you get yourself together at the job deal with the job and then I just get in the van, get in the vehicle and just drive away and I'd park up somewhere and I would shake uncontrollably. Mm. And and I and I didn't know why this was all happening. Um so when I finally got the counselling and got some help, uh I realised that my issues probably went back to childhood, which I've now established they did. But when you've had something like that, 
you start to become very aware of it in other people. Although you're not qualified for it, it's kind of you see that recognise the symptoms. Um, anyway, um, towards the end of the service, I got very vocal on the section about issues, stress and depression related issues on the dog section, because that's where I was and that's what I knew. And fact packet maths, in my time from 90, from 93 to 2009, when I, I was finally medically, medically retired, I'd worked out that probably 60% of the section that I'd worked with had had some form of stress, depression, related illness or treatment. And they were the ones that I knew about. And there were people who I could see uh, when I went back, you could see the, the, those issues in them. Two guys in particular, um, I, I won't name them because uh, I don't want to embarrass them. Um, but I was very vocal that they got they got help and they never did. Uh, and sadly, um, even to, you know, I spoke to OSD management, senior management, and nothing ever got done to my, to my knowledge. Uh, so I left the job in 2009, um, knowing that these, these issues were there. And one of the officers in particular uh, had, a, had a terrible occurrence. Um, which led to nearly losing his job and, and what have you. Um, this is not the time for, for that. But anyway, yeah. but anyway um, so I've always been, I've always had this interest in in that sort of thing. Um, with the result of my marriage breaking down, um, one of the few things that, she, that my ex-wife ever said to me was that I needed to go and see that nut doctor again. Uh, her words, not mine. Nice. Um, and which led me into four years of counselling, which I, I sort of had to self-finance. But I needed to know, I needed to understand why I felt the way I felt. Um, twice I was close to taking my own life. Um, sat at the water's edge engine running. Um, don't know where I got that idea from, but probably in the previous podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't brave enough to do it because I thought I was letting the kids down. Um, but the thought was very real and was there and in dark the darker days it became a very realistic alternative because I couldn't see a way forward I felt utterly worthless I felt like my life had no meaning um, I'd spent 10 years sleeping in separate beds or my wife had told me that uh, I was fat I was bald I drank too much uh, she wasn't interested in me physically and all this sort of thing and so my life was, I was just chalking days off. Um, anyway, uh, got into the counselling and that's been a very difficult, very difficult thing. I didn't want medication. I didn't, I needed to understand why I felt the way I felt. I was very lucky that I went back to the guy that I spoke to when I was in service. And one of the last things I ever said to him when I was in service was, that we'd got unfinished business. Uh, I think I could say his name is a guy called George Bassett. And I said to George, we've got unfinished business. And the when I actually rang him, I left a, left a message, said, well, yeah, you won't remember me, my name's Roger Barker. I used to be in the police and you helped me 10 years ago, whatever it was. And he rang me back and he said, is this about the unfinished business? Which immediately gave me a little bit of hope. And so four years on, um, while I'm still fragile in some ways, 
Um, I'm a lot more emotional. I can show emotion now where, where I couldn't do before because I felt thought it was wrong. Um, I can. Um, and things, some things get very raw. Um, but it occurred to me during my counselling that when I spoke to people about it, I felt so ashamed that I, that I was this guy who was supposed to cope and and I couldn't cope but then uh, through social media um, on one of those one of the close groups that I was on I decided that I needed to be very open about this because if I could be open if I could say something there may be other people there may there may be other people out there who felt the same so I I just put it out there uh, that that I'd struggled and this is what had happened to me and this is where I am now with it and I was utterly astonished at the response private messages people who knew me would ring me uh, and were saying look you know I'm so glad you've put that on because I feel the same mm. and I'm like and I, and I was utterly taken aback by it all so I saw that post. I remember reading. Yeah, yeah. and um, and so it then set me on a on a path to think. Well, okay. What is there anything I can do? Is there anything that I can do? I'm not a trained counsellor, but I've I've been in those dark places. I've been in those hurting places. Operationally, I've seen things that that ninety nine point nine percent of people outside the service don't see. Mm. You know, you've seen the dead children. You've seen the headless motorcyclist. You've been to the the needless murders. You've you know all those things that you see and and experience, and it rounds you and shapes you in a very unusual way. And I say it's like going to war in shifts. And mm. you know, although you're not, you know, you're not in a war zone as such, but mentally you are, and that can be physically on the department that you're in, that you're on, that you're dealing with very unsavoury things. Or operationally, that you you know that you see and you encounter physical abuse and all the assaults and all those sorts of things, and it's just set me thinking that what if I can give two hours a week to say, does anybody want to come and talk? So, my secondary modern mind came up with the, with this thing. Well, it's a stepping stone. So where I where I work, where I've got um, my business premises, I decided I'd just put it on the on this on this closed group uh, that I was going to open the Stepping Stone Cafe, which is just my office in my in my unit. Uh, and Do you want to say where that is? Yeah, it's uh, it's Unit Three, Old Great North Road, Sutton on Trent, uh, near Knotts, NG twenty three six QS, and you can find me on the. Nottinghamshire's finest and a few others uh, closed Facebook group and I open two hours a week and I just put it out there if you want to come if you want to talk if you just want a cup of tea you want to change your circumstance uh, from where whatever's bothering you you don't have to come and talk to me you can sit in silence you can look at all the junk and stuff that I've accumulated over the years in my in my my new business in my venture now where I buy and sell old toys so there's all sorts of weird stuff there that you can look at 
never expecting that anybody would come. This has been going now, I don't know, three months maybe. Oh, not long now. No, 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 no it's all very recent. And, and most weeks, somebody comes. And the idea is that they can, and, and, and I will just sit and listen. And because I've, I've, I've got, you know, a lifetime in the job, uh, I've got no axe to grind. I've, you know, I've been there, got the t-shirt, if you like. Uh, and I, I don't, I will listen without judgment. And if I can share experiences and if people can, um, find it, find it in themselves that they, that they want to talk, I'm happy to listen. And the idea is that if they can come to me, I'm not a counsellor, and maybe there's, there's this, there is this stigma that people think, oh, you know, I'm talking to a shrink or something. Well, I'm not. I'm just a, just an ex-cop who cares about ex-cops. Yeah. Because we've all been in that place. We've all been in that place where you think it's all caving in. Some handle it better than others. Others are more predisposed to struggling with it. Um, that could be childhood upbringing. It could be all sorts of things. And the best of the best, the bravest of the brave. I mean, the, the two people, what really made me decide to do it, and I won't name names, but there was a guy who was a, a, a detective at Central who I really, really respected. Wonderful chap, really, really good guy. He, he messaged me after I'd, I'd put a thing out about uh, Stepping Stone. He said, I really wish I could come and see you. So text messages were exchanged. Eventually I rang him and the lad was in bed. Two hours, I think we were on the phone and he'd just got himself in a very bad place and I was at the point of driving to see him. He lives two or three hours away. I thought, yeah, I'll come if you, you know. Uh, anyway, we, we got through that. Rang him the following day. He said, look, thanks for just listening. Oh. Another guy who um, you would absolutely go in the trenches with um, and again, I, I won't. I won't say who he is, but he's somebody I've known all my service, and actually before service, we we played a, we played um, some sport together, and um, and I have absolute respect for this guy. He is, you know, he'd fight lions, you know, he's a tremendous fella, and he rang me out of the blue. We had not spoken for twenty years, and. Uh, he rang me about a, a problem with his dog, uh, and I sort of said, sort of, "Yeah, he'd speak to Bob Vaughan over the thing." And then he got talk. He just mentioned a little bit about what I'd put on social media, and he literally dissolved on the phone. This guy who I thought was, you know, the best of the best, the strongest, and and he is, he is yeah. bulletproof, yeah. and he fell apart on the phone, and I thought, Christ, if these people, the best of the best. What, you know, oh, I've always you know looked up to, so it's not just me. So there have to be other people out there, and that's what I found. And and when the the worrying thing is that the there seems to be uh, uh, the job itself doesn't seem to be able to deal with these people or help these people. Uh, somebody came to see me who who worked just essentially uh, on a department. Um, I won't name the department, but apparently their their caring their uh, mental welfare was fifty minutes a year with somebody, 
well that's just not acceptable no. you know you can't keep pushing people into these areas and expect them to carry on unless they just they just want to break them and then just treat leave them as disposable you know and a lot of ex-cops have come forward i've had some serving cops come too and there is a you know i remember you know my retirement course there was a you know there's there's no preparation for people to to sort of decompress for mm. once a better way of putting it i think and so sorry cool. yeah i was gonna say i think there's a distinct lack of support for um ex-cops that you know cops have left the job you know whether they've left because of it's not like job anymore whether they've left because they're time served or whether they've left for medical reasons i don't think there's i'm not aware of a a, a, a nationwide support mechanism it, that's in place for those because i've had issues you know that i've had to deal with um at times felt very lonely and i know there's lots of cops you know through you i've become more aware of loads of ex-cops suffering from the big, the big yeah. question is who helps the helpers well exactly because as a cop you always think that you can cope and you're the one that people turn to yeah. to find the answers and kind of that's what you that's what your job is is to find and maybe may not be answers that people want but that's what you that's mm. what you try, you try and fix things be it you know be it you know getting into somebody's car that they've locked themselves out of the car or delivering a death message or whatever it may be but we're not very good at fixing ourselves, but are we? That's mm. exactly the point. And there is no mechanism. There is, there is, no, there is seemingly no uh, mechanism within the service to actually acknowledge that. And there are no stats. I, I've, I've spoken to Federation sp- uh, and you know, there are no available stats to, to say uh, you know, on the mental state of, of officers exiting service. Uh, and there's, you know, so the, the, it's maybe one of those things that they know there's a problem, but they'd rather not look at it, mm. because there's there's a very awkward and ugly truth there that there are a lot of people who've given their life in service to the crown, to the job, and to the force, and to the people of whatever county that they've served, and they're spat out the other end with a pension, and they think that's okay. Yeah, fine. Yeah, and, and, and you know yeah. there's there's an older guy comes to see me and he's he's a lovely chap we didn't know each other in service but i've become i like to think good friends with him and he struggles every day he's on medication about it all because he struggles with the way the job dealt with him is, is anything anybody from the uh, top corridor made contact with you in relation to what you do <sighs> support to support well yeah, so, well sort of retired bruce cameron uh bruce and i were pcs together at central Bruce is a lovely, lovely man, and Bruce is now, I think, uh, Deputy Chairman, Vice Chairman of NARPO, the original NARPO, and he came out to see me, and, you know, he's raised the issue with NARPO, they're making a small donation to me, which is very kind of them, you know, to pay for some tea, coffee, and, and what have you, uh, and are interested in what I'm doing, and in an ideal world, you know, I if... If something like this, if I can do it in this force, or if there's a couple of people do it in this force, and you're talking two hours out of your week, and maybe somebody comes, but maybe nobody comes, but if that one person comes who's on the edge of doing something desperate, yeah. Yeah. and they can sit with you and have a coffee and say, I didn't know what else to do, 
will you listen to me? If you could stop somebody taking their own life or doing something to harm themselves, then to me, that is an extension of what I did as a serving cop. Yeah. And yeah. that would be great if that was all over the country, but you know, that's a prime dream. Well, I think it's, uh, for me personally, I think it's fantastic that um, there's going to be a lot more people now aware of those issues. Uh, for people that previously they thought of as being bulletproof and were coded yeah. anything because at the end of the day we're only human. People say, well, that's what you paid for. Yeah, you are paid to do it. There's no question of that. But it's a relentless thing and, you know, post-traumatic stress, um, you know, that is something that is, 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 a, is a, was a... was ignored, it's now, it's now recognised. Yeah, absolutely. Again... Yes, we are paid to do that job, but there's a saying, isn't there? I read it on it was on social media. It was about not being normal. It was about a cop, wasn't it? Some cop. It's not normal to go to, you know, a cop, a cop death. You know, yeah. five or six times. Where someone's head's been it's taken not, off. It's not normal to see somebody, you know, in the, taking the last breaths, you know, in all their hand. You know, where where it is. it's not normal to fish your body out of the water. No. It's not normal to go fighting every week. You know, yeah. with people that yeah. are off the red and alcohol and coke, and it's not normal to live your life yeah. on the streets. And then you're expected to go night. home and just be a regular dad. Yeah, and, and work all those. And I know lots of people work night shifts, but you know, the nights that we work, they're not night shifts, are they? They are, you know, it's the nighttime economy you're dealing with, you know, fighting, drugs, alcohol, prostitution, street yeah. workers, you know, you know, you're dealing with a part of society that your regular, we're all regular we're, um, sort of. We're all too. Person doesn't get to see. We're all too bad decisions from being on the streets. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I I, I spoke to a young lad the other day about this, uh, and I said, look, you know, you can be out with your friends. You've got a good job. You've got a good job, and you know you you are socially. You're social. You're socially, um, okay earning money, you're out, you're having a nice time, somebody offers you a pill. You don't know what that pill is, but you're feeling good and you take the pill. And then you take another one. And before you know it, you're craving to buy another one of those and then your job suffers, you lose your job. And then you start taking money from parents' purses or borrowing money off people. And suddenly you're on that slippery slope and there's no way out of it. And so it doesn't take doesn't take a lot before you are uh, uh, in a very very dark place a very bad place so it can happen to anybody and it can certainly happen to cops because they take in their lifetime they take more than their fair share and it's oh, because yeah. most of them care that's yeah. the problem yeah absolutely i mean that, there's there are a couple of incidents i'm not going to talk about them Tonight's about stepping stones for me. This 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 episode, um, but yeah, there were a couple of incidents that haunt me, still that I've been to haunt me, and uh, I know previously talking to you earlier, you uh, you got quite emotional about a couple of incidents yeah. that you spoke about. If I start speaking about them, I would mm. I would do the same. I would get very emotional about it, and I, I get very teary in the eye yeah. talking yeah. about it, and because it's just, it's not normal, is it? It's not normal to to see humanity in in that state you know people don't realise we live in such a protected society yeah, we do. that you, you you know I mean I'm, I'm ex-forces I've been all around the world involved in 
you know, conflict, cat terrorism, cat drugs, humanitarian. When I joined the police, I couldn't believe people lived the way they lived in my society, in my yes. in my county. You know, not not twenty five minutes from where I grew up, yes. living in the conditions they were living. Yeah, and I was like, I, I don't get this. You know, mothers abusing children, fathers abusing children. Um, well, not just well, family members abusing children. And I was like, you know, I can't believe this is literally you know. Just a, you know, a couple of towns away from where I've grown yeah. up, th- this exists, and it obviously been around for years, and and it, and it and it shocks you, doesn't it? It's one of those things that you, people, you're quite right. People live in their own little bubble, and you know they have a nice house, a nice car, a nice life, and they're blissfully unaware of of things that are going off around them, and whether you are privileged as a cop to see it but you are certainly exposed to it and one of the things that I always say to people is life can be very precious and life can be very very cheap and there's a very very thin dividing line and cops you know cops who sit and hold somebody's hand in a car telling them they're going to be alright and they know that they're dying they're, they're mm. breathing the last picking off breath and and you know you're trying to say to somebody you know it's going to be okay they're, they're coming you know you're going to be alright mm. Uh it's wonderful when that comes right, but it's also, you know, you get sent to the job. Um, you know, there's a motorcycle being sent at the side of the road, can you just go and investigate it? And you think, where's the rider? Mm. And then you find what's left of the rider somewhere else. Yeah. And you think, and, and it's happened, it's happened to me. Uh, I remember a car on Westdale Lane uh, early as one morning. Uh, it, it'd been raining, the lad had lost it. Three four in the morning, and the engine block had gone. I don't know sixty meters into another garden, and the, the what was left of him was in the front well of his car. Uh, uh, traffic were already there dealing with it. Uh, and uh, I was asked to just to go on containment. You know, could this might help manage the scene. And this couple walked up towards me and said oh there's been an accident and our son's gone out in his car and she told me the registration number mm. and I knew and I couldn't tell her and she said he's only just nicked out about 20 minutes half an hour ago and he hasn't come back and we're a bit worried mm. so I then had to get the officer dealing to come and give him the news now yeah you paid to do that you paid to do those things but they still leave an indelible mark oh yeah you know and I can you know I can drive around this county and I drive past certain places and some are happy places some are sad places and 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 that lives with you in the back of your mind forever yeah it does you yeah. know I lost you know I lost a colleague uh Jeff Walker yeah um it happened on I think the 7th of January my birthday is the 8th and you know his machines were turned off, and he passed away on the ninth. So my every time my birthday comes around, I remember Jed, mm. and he was about the same age as me. His kids were around there; they're about the same age as my two kids. And and all he wanted to do was get to the end of his service. You know, an outstanding cop, but all he wanted to do was get to the end, and he died doing his job. And that could have been me, it could have been you, yeah. it could have been any of us. And those things, 
yeah, you know, and I, you know, and it's, it's one of those things. If you could change it, um, yeah, you would. Of course, you would. Hmm. Um, Which what places are? That's a big question. Isn't it? That's a big question. Well, <sighs> do we shoot him at the job when instead of him? Yeah. Because maybe, maybe I was physically a bit stronger than Jed. Maybe I could have, maybe I could have squared the guy up before he accelerated away. Maybe I could have hung on a bit longer and missed the missed the central reservation that that Jed hit with the back of his head. Maybe, and you know Andy Pickersgill, who was the other officer, the other dog handler, who Jed had gone to help, I, you know. Andy, I know, would. Another good lad, yeah. Another good lad. And, um, you know, the, I, I know the entire section. We all do. We've all done what he did. Um, you know, and he could have rolled down the road, got up, after blinded. Yeah, brushed himself brushed down. Brushed it down. And we've done it, yeah. you know. Uh, it's happened to me on Stobbin Street, Newark. Uh, I finished up uh, hanging on to the windscreen wipers of a car driving down Stobbin Street and I realised where the car guy was going but my legs were hanging off the side of the car and I realised that the car would get through but my legs wouldn't do so I had to I finished up rolling into a doorway on the on Stobbin Street while he drove off if I'd have tried to stay on you know I'd have been I don't know maybe in a wheelchair I don't know mm. But those those split second things that happen for cops um, are life changing, uh, and I, you know, I was lucky. I rolled down the road, and I was annoyed that I'd missed a, missed an arrest because I couldn't stop the car. Jed, I'm sure, uh, you know, all of you know all those things are the same, and dog handlers were, you know, to use Pete Joyce's. Who was the, my first inspector on dog section? Tenacious to the nth degree, you didn't give up, uh, and that was Jed to a T. And all those things, I know that had a profound effect on the section. Um, it did on the organisation. Did it? on the organisation, hundred percent. I mean, look at look look at the funeral. What, oh, it, you know, as sad as it was, it was an amazing event, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, the section. Uh, the section really did him proud uh, and you know I'd have to say uh, Graham Worrell uh, who's an ex guards sergeant he basically looked after the the funeral party you know he, he, you know uh, and you know the, the funeral the, the the pallbearers and it did just such an amazing job um, and I don't think you know when I watched. I watched in awe the way he, that he conducted that was just mm. fantastic. But would I sooner have be able to sit here and have a drink with Jed? Absolutely, hundred percent. Mm. I would. Well, tell you what, here's the last drink. The great man. The great man, Jed. Cheers, Jed. Mm. Well, so we really uh, meandered on this one, haven't we? Because we're talking about stepping stones and stepping talking stone. about. But it's all it's all interlinked. Well, it isn't it? Yeah. But, it's, um, it's all it's all interlinked um you know it's worrying that the job 
seemingly doesn't have any strategies to uh, certainly you know, cops cops who've passed through and are in retirement and living with uh, with things that maybe they, they they've never really fully come to terms with maybe uh, by raising awareness there can be better mechanisms within the service to give people um, proper counseling I know that costs money but you know professional standards are very prepared to spend money to catch cops um, uh, and I've, I haven't got a problem with that if they deserve catching but there seems to be a very different mentality about that whereas you know they should be prepared to find money in budgets to uh, to help and and I think if people are mentally well they'll stay at work yeah if they feel that they're being cared for and looked after and not have this you know and, and it's, it's 10 years since I left but I know there were policies being brought in that you know if you're if you're off sick it would affect your chance to get overtime or and all these sorts of things and promotions and all these sorts of things which were all smoke and mirrors ways of keeping you at work and I know I know for myself I would take rest days or take leave anything sometimes I couldn't fa couldn't face going to work so I'd, I would take the days off rather than go off That's sick it, yeah because I didn't want it on my record, because it would count against me. And it shouldn't be that way. And I'm sure what I know now is I was not alone. You know, depression, anxiety, all these things isolate you as a person because this, the, the perceived shame of it, you know, people who, when, when you're going through it, you think it's only you. And you look in a you know, you look round a room and you think how can all these other cops cope and I can't mm. because that's the way your mind yeah plays it but in truth there there will be other cops in that room who are looking yeah. at you thinking how does he cope Can and I can't mm -hmm. and it's it's if people will just open up and talk and just say to a mate can I go for a pie? Can I go for a coffee? I need to just get something off my chest and not feel that the whole world is going to descend on them. Mm -hmm. Then it has to be a good thing. At the end of the day, we're human beings and I think the pace, I think the pace of life and what is expected of, of us all now is so fast. I don't think the human kind is really designed to cope with the way things are now because everything is so instant. Mm. Everything is so uh, immediate. Everything, the pace of life, certainly in my lifetime, you know, has has gone crazy. Well, they're saying about technology, isn't they? About how how technology, the, the speed of technology, and how fast it's developed, and it's going to make the make the world a better place. But the trouble is, the human race can't keep up with it. You're dead right. You know, we can. You know, social media is a good thing in many ways. It's been very positive for me. It's got me back in touch with family members, school friends that through my marriage I got isolated from. Um, and so I, you know, I've seen it as a very positive thing. 
but you know we can text we can email we can skype we can facetime we can whatsapp we can do all these things well look how quick you messaged us tonight to yes. say i'm running late yeah that's fine yeah but but when people's lives uh, are at R- that pace or ran by yes <laughs> and what we don't do is sit and talk to each other anymore and talk through things mm. you know um and like this is why this is great because we don't you know I, I see you now and again but normally you know you we live busy lives we might just grab five minutes yeah we're all busy yeah you know so things like this and if, if you can take anything away from it and again the stepping stone thing is just a window for somebody to take a breath and say what's on the mind good yeah and and, and if if from that they can say well actually I don't know thanks for that I feel a lot better but I, I maybe I do need to go and get some help then that's great you know I'm, I'm not the person I'm not the answer I'm not anybody's answer but all I want to be is or what I hope that it's, the vehicle is is a stepping stone yeah if somebody could just say thanks for listening I think I need to do this or thanks for that bit of advice you gave me or what you did there or what you've told me somebody else did that might work for me there's no easy answer mental health is a very complex thing and the right help is out there they're learning all the time you know how the how the mind works and 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 how complex issues could be and how things right from your childhood that you don't even think about because that's something that's happened with me going back that far with a counsellor I've managed to unpick a lot of things that I thought were my fault that weren't my fault yeah. but my child my child recollection carries that forward it doesn't delete it it doesn't archive it it, it, it lives in there it's why people drink drink lots because yeah having a drink's great but lots of ex-cops drink way too much and what it is is they're blocking something out because they don't want to think about it mm-hmm. and then it just becomes it just becomes second nature and they just do it because it's habit and it's it's addictive it's like people who smoke you know they are the things and you think back early in your service you know cops would drink way too much and it was you think about it, it wasn't it wasn't the the fact that they were being very, you know, sort of uh, manly or being sort of, you know, I can coach the football lip thing. It's, it, the actual thing is it was it was something that was helping them not to think about... Yeah, a coping strategy. A coping strategy. You can see that now. You know, I drink now way, way less than I ever did. Um, sometimes I go weeks and not have a drink and I don't feel like a drink. And if I have a if I have a black day, if I have a bad day, I've now got ways that I can motivate myself out of that. You know, one of the things I learned, I I struggled to get angry because what I saw as a child taught me that anger was bad because I saw the violence in, in my parents' marriage, and I swore that I, I swore as a child I would never ever let my kids see that. So when things happened in my marriage I would always back off give in give ground 
anything to stop any any kind of any kind of thing that they would see. Yeah, yeah. But what that eventually does, and that is down to the kind of person that you're married to. What eventually does it starts to mentally take you apart in another way, um, which we haven't got time to do now. But it's it's one of those things that you can. If you seek help of a professional, you start to see where things have gone wrong, or you start to understand yourself in your adult self. Like now, I allow, you might laugh at this, I allow myself to get irritated. Because if I can get irritated at things, then I can deal with them. Uh, I struggle with where I'm emotionally involved with things, still do. And the reason I could do what I did in the job is I was doing a job and I wasn't emotionally involved with it. So when you talk about fighting with people and doing all those things and arresting folks and all those things, you were playing a role. And I was happy to do that because I knew I was what I was doing was for the, for, for the greater yeah. good. But put me in a situation where I was, where it was something personal to me. I struggled with that because all I'd learned to do was um, internalise and make it go away. You know, we mm. all know about fight, freeze and flight. Yeah. My thing was, what I'd learned to do as a kid was to freeze. You know, get me out of the covers, let the pots and pans stop smashing and the shouting and eventually it would all calm, calm down and go away. And that was my coping strategy. And in my marriage, when my ex-wife would have a go at me about stuff on lots of occasions. I would just sit, my head would be screaming, just say something, just tell her to F off or whatever, so yeah. I couldn't do it. Because that was my conditioning. Um, and I hated myself for it, and I thought I was weak for it, but I understand it was just my, it was the only coping strategy I got because I'd not learned to do anything else. Sure, yeah. And again, I think, Maybe people who come into the job may have those similar things and that's what makes them struggle. And it may be something that they are predisposed to from childhood that makes them struggle in adulthood with things in the job. I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm not a psychologist. I'm, not, I'm a secondary model like me. But I know, I know that there are things that can be done to help and often it is starts with talking and just being able to say to somebody, you know, Houston, I've got a problem, can I talk to you? You might think this is daft, but yeah. start it any way you like. And, that's, a, that, and that's, that's the great thing about stepping stones, isn't it? Because people can just come along, 100%. have a chat, sit there in silence, or just have so a cup of tea. Whatever they want to do, whatever yeah. they want to do, uh, but if, if they're so, there, even if they don't say anything, yeah. the fact that they've, they've taken the time to come, and taking talk, that step and yeah. talk to a you know a mm. fat bald next dog man uh, who's prepared to sit and listen to him or just sit in silence with him and ask him if they want another cup of tea the fact that they've made that effort to come will flag up with them that they need to do something yeah. or there is a requirement to do something I've no magic answers far from it but if I can if I can just sit there and be that pair of ears that they just need, maybe just to resolve it for themselves, then that's got to be a good thing. And, so, I'll, and I'll keep doing it as long yeah. as 
I don't care if nobody comes for six months, I'll still keep putting it out on the Facebook site that I'm going to be there this day, that day, whatever day, anybody can come. So it's Wednesday mornings. Usually Wednesday Usually mornings. Usually Wednesday mornings. Ten till? Ten till midday. Ten till midday. I try and keep my Wednesdays clear. Yeah. Obviously, because I'm self-employed, you know the beauty of yeah. it. Something happens and I've got to be somewhere else in the country. But I'll always try and I try and work it that, 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 that the Wednesday is sacrosanct and that folks if they need to work their work their work a day out of the building up to come because uh, that happened to me the other day somebody came and they said they got right the way down and they nearly turned around and kept went away but I'm glad they came and I'm glad that they got something out of it yeah. uh, and hopefully they've they will have made a decision for themselves or it will have pushed them another step a step closer to going to get the help that they need you know, I'm not religious, I'm not anything like that. I'm, I'm not going to push rosary beads down people's, you know. People, people are religious, people believe it, that's great. I'm, and I'm not going to do that. And I'm, oddly enough, I've had people pick up, I've had people who are, uh, who've tried to sell me courses in counselling and people who've tried to say, oh, I've got this alternative remedy and this, that and the other. And, you know, would you, would you recommend it to people? Well, no, I won't do that. That's not my job to do that. All I am is a pair of ears that's prepared to listen to somebody who's been where I've been or maybe I've been where they've been. Yeah. Because yeah. I'll have some level of understanding, hopefully, of what they're going through. And if by that, and if it's not me, it's a, it's a mate. If, if it's a friend, it doesn't have to be me. But if they can take the model and say to somebody, please sit and listen to me for a couple of hours because I think this is bothering me. Yeah. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. And hopefully we can, in retirement, we can enjoy, you know, A, if, if people are serving, it prepares them better for what's going to come afterwards. If they've got the issues and they're post-job, and it helps them enjoy their retirement, because we all know we are... You know, we're only here once, yeah. despite what some people might think. We're here once, and it's important that we get the best out of it that we can. And if by doing that, that enables somebody to resolve whatever issues they are and, and move on and get themselves mentally well, then you know what? It's worth it. It's worth two hours a week. And it's good of you to give you time to do that, Roger. So just give us the location again. Uh, I'm at... Uh, it's Roger Barker Slots, which is my business. You can find me on Facebook anyway. Uh, but it's Unit 3, Old Great North Road, Sutton-on-Trent, NG236QS. If anybody knows the area, it's very close to the old Walton's buildings, which is now called Mercia. It's on their service road. Just drive right the way down to the bottom. It opens out into a cul-de-sac, and Unit 3 is on the right-hand side. You can't miss it. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for coming in. And Fletch. sharing that with us. That's not my real name, by the way. And, yes. Um, <laughs> Whatever your name was. Pike. Godber. Pike. <laughs> Don't tell him your name, Pike. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so thank you so much for coming and sharing that with us. It's important that people get people to, to talk about mental health and get people talking about it. And Stepping Stones is a great place for them to uh, to start if, they're, if they're not comfortable going and, anywhere else. And that's and that's all it is. And, yeah. if we, and, and if by that we can do it, then that's great. And thanks... Thanks for inviting me. Thank you for coming on. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Brilliant. Anytime. That's Dr. Oscar Rod. That'll do.